Welcome to the Mom Boss Motivation Podcast. This episode is part of a new series that I will be dropping every Sunday called Moms Inspiring Moms. Hope you enjoy it. Love you. Bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mom Boss Motivation Podcast. I have a special guest with me here today. We're in, recording an episode of Moms Inspiring Moms. Her name's Dr. Gina Wong. She's a professor at, I can't say the name of the university. Athabasca University. Athabasca <laughs> University, living in Treaty 6 territory. She is an author, speaker, and psychologist of Asian descent who specializes in perinatal mental health, as well as Asian mental health. She is a founder of the Asian Gold Ribbon Campaign. Welcome, Dr. Gina. I'm so excited to have you here. We are also part of a anthology book, Moms Who Boss Up Post-Pandemic. And I'm so glad I get to have you on the podcast because I want to get to know the authors a lot more and I want that to showcase moms on my podcast. So thank you for being here. Do you have anything else to add to your introduction that I didn't have? Well, I I have to say how thrilled I am to be here, Cheryl. This is a a wonderful opportunity. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just delighted. I, you know, there's, there's always more in the bio, but I think you covered the real good basics. So thank you. Good. So I want to know, um, as um, young mom, I had, I have three kids. How many, so how many kids do you have? And um, share with your story about mom life. Oh my gosh. Well, my, uh, 22 years ago, um, my oldest daughter was born and uh, then her sister was born a few years later. So Cassie's 18. And then I have a stepson who's also 22. And uh, I just have to share share this, Cheryl. So my youngest just moved away to McMaster University. So she's no longer at home. And, uh, you know, it's a very different phase in life. Um, it's, yeah, it's, and, and it's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm getting sort of into symbolism and these sorts of things. But I find myself really interested in in wearing feathers. So I have a feather today in my hair. Oh, yeah. Um, when she left, I, I don't know, I had feather earrings. So it's almost like, you know, she's, she's flown the nest. Yeah. And, and anyway, so I wanted to share that. But boy, has it been a journey. And it, you know, it never ends. Being a mother is just something that, you know, it's, it's an incredible role, incredibly challenging, but also very, very fulfilling. And of course, I also have specialized in perinatal mental health for the last, you know, more than 20 years. And so I'm very, um, very passionate about that field. I, I work a lot in the area of postpartum depression and anxiety. And I also do perinatal forensic psychology work. So I have worked with or assessed and diagnosed mothers who've killed their babies. Oh, so yeah, so I kind of, you know, run the gamut of, uh, of some pretty incredible experiences to walk, you know, that journey of, of the court process, you know, as a forensic psychologist as well. So 
a number of roles. Yes. So when your girls were growing up, were you mostly in the education field or like how did your um, career get to where you are today? I love this question because um, one story I have is that when I was completing my PhD, um, I was in labor with Iris during my doctoral candidacy. Wow. My PhD supervisor and I looked at my due date for my first daughter and backed it up by two weeks and picked that date. It actually happened to be Labor Day. Oh. Um, So labor pain started, you know, earlier the previous day. So I was was just so stressed about whether I would be at the hospital or make it to my candidacy exam. Luckily, I made it to my exam, passed, and then gave birth. Oh my gosh! (laughs) After so. yeah, and so, you know, pretty soon after that, I, I became an assistant professor at the university. I'm full professor now, so I've been an academic for about 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And so academics, um, that was the most of your career. How did you transition into doing other things um, through the perinatal stuff and now into your own business? So. Can you walk us through that journey? I, I would, I would love to. Uh, so, as a psychologist, um, you know, in academia, we have a certain percentage of work that we can do. Uh, that's called field work, sort of thing. So, if we have a nurse, nurse practitioner who's a professor, obviously they do some clinical work. So, I've always had a, you know, a clinical practice on the side, and so that's kind of been you know, my, my business in the sense to stay relevant, you know, as a counselor educator, it's important to actually, you know, be in the trenches doing the therapy work and consulting. So that's been an important part of my career. So the academic side, as well as the clinical focus, and it's wonderful because it's afforded me the ability to do both and to, you know, grow myself into, you know, doing forensic uh, work if I wanted to. So it was uh, exactly actually March 16th of this year, my university was, you know, had requested that I do some media around anti-Asian racism because things were starting to kind of get to the boiling point with, you know, all the messages around COVID and blame for Chinese people. So I agreed and it was quite interesting because there were no, there was no interest for, you know, maybe more than two weeks. And then there was, you know, there was an interest. So I was, I can't even remember what it was, probably CBC. I was doing an interview and it was um, the day after the Atlanta shooting. So like the morning, you know, I think the Atlanta shooting happened March 17th and it was the morning of March 18th. So, you know, there were questions related to what happened in Atlanta and you know a lot of interest then uh, came up for quite a bit of media so I was involved with some you know some national and local um, interviews which was really great very interesting and Cheryl what I what I found was that I was talking for the first time about racism that I experienced growing up wow I I was I was born in Montreal um, grew up in Montreal and now in in Edmonton 
but throughout my grade one experiences, every day after school, I was kicked and chased and spat at and called all kinds of racial slurs and, and taunted. And I remember that, I mean, it's, you know, visceral when it's at such a young age. And I started talking about this because they would be asking, you know, have I experienced racism before? So, you know, I've published some of that, those stories before, but, you know, nobody reads them beyond, you know, academics sort of thing, but this was to a much more larger kind of mass audience. And um, I would, you know, I would be okay sharing it. You know, I, I don't disclose things I'm not comfortable with, but there was a very different processing that I never got to do that I was doing because you sort of tuck those stories away and you forget about them. You soldier on because, you know, you're supposed to move forward. Right. But I was telling, you know, more stories and more of them were coming into mind like I'd forgotten. Um, so it was this, this kind of process that I was doing on, on stage, basically. And I kind of break down sometimes afterwards. And there was one, you know, there was one interview that I did, and I can't, you know, can't remember specifically, but I talked about, you know, as an adolescent girl, how the boys would sing Little China Girl, David Bowie's song, and I, and I would, I was actually quite uh, taken by the attention, you know, my little China girl, how, you know, how nice after being shouted all these awful racial slurs. Right. But I remember looking at the words, um, you know, a few months after, and they would always do it, you know, on the bus and, you know, at, in school, high school kind of thing. And I looked at the words and they're not flattering words and they confused me and I didn't know what they meant, but I knew that it wasn't good. And, you know, I published um, an article in the conversation and it starts out with the verses of, of my little China girl. And now I understand what, what that's about. But so I shared that and, uh, you know, I just felt quite heavy by it when I, you know, finished sharing it. And I thought, here we are, a resurgence of anti-Asian racism. You know, the legislated racism that happened in the 19th century is like it's all coming back in full force. And I thought about my daughters and they're mixed race, but I did not want them to experience what I experienced, the internalized racism, you know, all the things that I battled. And so I, you know, I thought we really need visible solidarity against anti-Asian racism. So I started the Asian Gold Ribbon campaign and uh, we've been going strong since. We identified the Asian Gold Ribbon Day of May 20th. May of course is Asian Heritage Month and it was phenomenal. We had the Human Rights Commissioner of Canada. Wow. Yeah, we had, um, you know, the Indigenous Affairs, Deputy Minister Quan Watson. We had Bardish Chagar, who's Minister of Justice, Youth and Equity. It was amazing. And so we held a youth summit and um, it was attended by people in nine countries and nine of our Canadian provinces. And our analytics show that, you know, we've reached 80 countries. So it's, wow. it's been phenomenal. And very rewarding so it's a non-profit organization we're still you know we're still just becoming yes um, and so yeah that's that's how it all got started and wow so i am filipino yeah. and i i don't 
I, I like you. I don't remember really. I wasn't kicked. I went to a school that was very like safe and everyone like loved each other. It was an art school. Everyone's creative and like, but do, I do have some memories that pop up randomly. I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, that happened. Um, and sharing them, it, it feels heavy, but then after that, it feels so much lighter. And so I love that you shared that on stage and were vulnerable with others. I love that you shared it here. Um, and so taking back to, uh, the other portion of postpartum depression, I, I think I had postpartum depression, but in my culture, we don't really ask for help. We don't, I didn't do that. So I just worked through it by just working out, doing all these things, but how, so how would you go, how, what are signs of postpartum depression that you can share? Hmm. Um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that, Cheryl. I think that you know, Asians and our stories, they're, they're so important to hear. Like part of the campaign is about visible solidarity, but it's also about ending the silence. And so I would talk about the Cantonese word, it's yan. And it means, um, you know, pride and honor in staying quiet, hold it inside. Don't talk about your feelings. Don't talk about your fears, soldier on. And that's a lot, you know, around the model minority and a lot around you know, just having to survive, basically. So it makes sense why you stay quiet. And it's kind of that cultural way of being, which, you know, in my sharing my story, I'm really trying to, um, you know, show a contrast of that and how important it is to be loud and proud and share our story. So I, I appreciate you saying that. The postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, they often co-mingle. Um, one of the symptoms that, you know, aside from what we generally know, what anxiety feels like and depression feels like, which, which are low mood, feeling sad, it's beyond the baby blues, which, you know, you get tearful, usually around two weeks or so. Um, postpartum depression lasts longer. You feel like you just, you know, often I'll hear someone say, I just don't feel like myself. Um, I don't, I don't want to get out of bed or it might not be get out of bed because you know as moms we have to get out of bed babies, but it'll be just around motivation and the and the symptom that I often hear that you know mothers don't may not know about is they'll talk about rage so postpartum rage so this sense of impatience intolerance and it's like you know um yeah they feel in a way more angry than they have before. So they might, you know, if they're in a, you know, heterosexual relationship, they'll be angry at their partner. Um, they'll be angry at themselves. They'll, they'll be really frustrated. So, you know, there is a symptom, postpartum rage, and women will get very hard on themselves and feel like, this is me. I'm a bad mother. Can't do anything right. Comparisons often increase. So, well, that mother looks like she can do it, or all these mothers before me were able to do it. I can't, what's wrong with me? So there, there's a lot of, you know, a sense of worthlessness in not being able to do this job. Sometimes, you know, nursing isn't going well, so that will increase, you know, feelings of, of failure. 
And then we have things like birth trauma. Right. You know, if a birth, and that's defined by the mother, it doesn't matter who or what anyone else thinks. If it was trauma based on the mother's experience, then it was trauma. And so, you know, from trauma, we have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so sometimes the depression and anxiety might actually be, um, you know, a symptom of the PTSD. So I'll look for things like birth trauma. Um, anyways, I could go on, but yes, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in this area. And I would say, you know, reaching out for help is so important. Postpartum Support International, I'm involved with that. And actually we're starting a Postpartum Support um, International Canada chapter. Okay. So, you know, PSI, reach out to them. Um, great resource. I just see all these moms having babies and then I'm like, where are they? And I know where they are. And it's so important to reach out to your friends that have just had babies because we know how like difficult that time is and it changes. I have three kids. It changed every single time and it's different every single time. And I feel like the last one hit me the most because we moved to a new area. So then all my, my support system was not here. And so just going into, this is why I found like a group online. And I was like, I need to work on fitness because that's something I love to do. And then, then they're like, what do you want to do in life? I was like, I want to talk to the world. And so I started a podcast and I, I just want, I just kept going and I just know that like some people it's really hard in Asian culture specifically. I can speak to that. We don't ask for help. My parents still don't tell me if they're sick or not. And it's like, come on, tell me. And so since you focus on that, like what is it in our Asian culture that, that has led us from to stay quiet and um, mm-hmm. can you explain that? You bet. I also want to give a shout out to the moms right now and dads because being a new parent in COVID times is extraordinarily difficult if yes. possible because, you know, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders through connection and support is where you know we find and we're seen and normalized for how we feel and they're just you know even you know early days of covid mothers would have to birth without their partner Partner. in the hospital so a very lonely experience and not just for new moms but you know as moms with kids at home and the pandemic and you know all that we've had to endure with quarantine so anyways it's a very hard time it is um, and so your question of where does that come from, this cultural belief, this idea of yun, to hold it in. The way that I've talked about that is, you know, with, with what happened in immigration 100 years ago, the 19th century, um, Chinese laborers were valued for being a dispensable race, meaning we could do the hard labor. So build the, you know, the transcontinental railway, build the CPR in Canada, you know, don't give us the proper shelter, you know, the dynamite and all that, you know, there, there, are, there are bodies not even 
buried um, because, you know, the dispensable Chinese race. And then we wouldn't go back, you know, it was like, okay, go back. You've been, you know, used for your labor. And so, you know, there began these notions of things like the yellow peril. And that's what, you know, COVID is a revival of that Chinese people, the yellow peril, bringing in disease and contamination and dirty. So all these ideas would come up to try to keep, you know, Japanese, you know, Chinese people out of the countries. And, you know, when that happens, the survival strategy is to hunker down, you know, Asian Gold Ribbon, we have some um, educational modules. So we have a yeah, yeah, a grandpa talking about immigrating to Canada and what that was like. You knew you weren't wanted here. So you just put your head down, you were grateful for what you could get and you worked hard. So that's where it comes from. Just pack it in, hold it in, work hard. And that's where the idea, this stereotype of the model minority comes from. So if you just work hard enough, we can gain economic wealth. So this, this upward mobility, if you just get good grades, you know, become all these things, then, you know, what racism? You're okay, you can work hard and you can begin those things. But then, you know, there's, a, there's so much I could talk about, you know, yeah. that builds, you know, cross-racial um, conflict and, you know, all these other things. So keep your head down, don't talk. It was a survival strategy. Okay. Way to stay safe. And it's stayed as the way the generations have gone. And the Asian Gold Ribbon is about, we can be safe, we can be seen. And in fact, that holding in of emotions leads to mental health issues, suicidality, and harm in different ways. Right. And ways that we parent. You know, this is this is all my, you know, my love in the psychology work that I do. Yeah, I could just that's what was thinking. I was like, but if keeping it in, it like it feels so heavy and feels like it shouldn't be there. And then you, then you think, then you manifest all these things in your head. And I see that happening. And I know that it's not just with postpartum depression, like it can continue when our children come to a different stage of puberty and Mm -hmm. they're experiencing new things. And so are you. So what would you say to moms who like, I, w- I don't know, lack of a better term, lose their for <laughs> um, when they probably don't really need to. Um, are there any like tips you can share with moms that lose their stuff all the time? Mm-hmm. We can't say it, hey? Um, yeah, <laughs> we could say it, but I don't know. <laughs> My kids listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, well, I want to tell you first about the kind of exciting endeavor with the Asian Gold Ribbon campaign. Okay. We're evolving into, and I think the title is going to be something like, you know, Asian Mental Health Association. Okay. AMA. Although I don't, AMA is, you know, what you call like grandmother in Chinese. Okay. But of course, Asians also represent, you know, South Asians, Southeast Asians, not just East Asians. So, um, but we are evolving into focusing and emphasizing mental health promotion because of this fact that there's been so much silence and stigma around reaching out for help. 
So the Asian Mental Health Collective in the United States is uh, partnering with us um, because they do amazing, wonderful work. And oh. anyways, we're just getting started. Exciting. Um, and that because is there's such a need. There's such yes. a need to build like a hub of resources and information and what practitioners are available in Canada. And so having a directory and supporting, you know, organizations to do this work. So in the process and part of what, you know, I've been excited about and, you know, the, the, the name I've given is the, is the Tree of Life Leadership and Legacy. So that's my 20 years of counseling and consulting work and taking my own life and what I've learned from trauma I've experienced and as a mother and all my training. Um, so T-R-R-E-E -E, and each of those stand for something. Okay. So, you know, this is, I'm sort of slowly growing it, but, you know, the idea of when a mother loses her cool. Yes. <laughs> um, first off is to be really self-compassionate because we are often the hardest on ourselves. And I, you know, we can so easily link that to model minority, you know, work hard. And so, you know, we're, we criticize ourselves. We've received criticism when we're less than perfect. So we have this voice in our head that is constantly telling ourselves how we aren't doing it right. So when we lose our cool, you know, the relationship, and I talk about this in my podcast with Tam, you know, parenting at the heart of it is our relationship with ourself. So if we lose it, and every, every parent does. Yes. Um, it's to, you know, have that voice of self-forgiveness and compassion to say, oh, yes, you know, I'm, I'm really tired. And, you know, having that ease and compassion with ourselves, actually, um, it seems strange because people say, well, that's excusing my behavior. That's like saying, you know, oh, well, just do that. That's okay. And then what if I don't care and I just do it all the time? So, you know, there's all these myths that we have around, you know, being hard on ourselves, you have to crack the whip or else we'll give up. Those just aren't true. What we find is when we cultivate uh, compassion and a spirit of caring for ourselves, we're better able to do that for our children. Yes. And, you know, so there's so much around that. So that's, that's where I would start. And, you know, community, I, I don't know what I would do without my, you know, my, my comrade, the other mother that I met through the mother's group. She's now in Australia, but we would text each other and kind of jokingly say, I just, I just told my, I just told my kid to stop talking for two minutes and I timed them. <laughs> you know, we just sort of laugh. Yes. And, you know, like you, you almost have, you know, so that connection with someone who's not afraid to talk about the real aspects of mothering, not this mask of perfect mothering, because we right. see that all the time. Yes. So just getting real and like, you know, for some reason I can't stop crying right now, you know, and they just sort of receive it, hear it, they hold space, they're not fixing it because they know what it's like. Yeah. So those are the two things I would say. I love that. I feel like I could talk to you forever. There's a lot that we can dive into, but what is your vision for 2022? Because now I, it's already almost past 2021. So what's your vision for you for 2022? Oh my gosh. Well, um, continuing my academic work, that's my biggest piece, but, you know, doing what I love and the Asian gold ribbon is going to live strong. The Asian um, gold ribbon day, May 20th in 2022 is going to focus on mental health 
So, you know, this continuing this outward expression, um, solidarity, celebration of Asian culture, and yeah, work on this mental health, Asian Mental Health Association, um, you know, write more books, meet more people, and, you know, such as yourself. That's all sounds exciting. And I can't wait to be part of your Asian Mental Health Association or get involved here in the US. Um, I didn't even know it existed. So I'm, I hope that people that listen to this podcast can look it up. I'll put all the information in the show notes. Um, I'm excited for our book, uh, Moms Who Boss Up Post Pandemics coming out November 9th and um a book tour i guess is coming soon so we might be coming coming soon to a city near you (laughs) um and i am just so appreciative of your time i'm so glad i got to know you more today and a lot of our things like coincide and i can't wait to work with you more Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. So I would encourage people to look up the Asian Mental Health Collective in the United States. And, you know, uh, Asian Gold Ribbon, we're on all the platforms of LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, So yeah, Asian Gold Ribbon, Tree of Life, Leadership and Legacy, T-R-R-E-E. I've kind of started a Facebook and have a little bit of an Instagram. Um, But, you know, all that is growth, growth to come. Yes. Well, we're excited and I'll get all that information for you and I will talk to you soon. Let me stop the recording. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with all your mom bosses and I hope you take some nuggets away from this episode. Let's connect. Join the Mom Boss Motivation Community on Facebook or follow me on Instagram at Mom Boss Motivation. Love you. Bye.